Good morning. Today we are continuing in our series of People Becoming, and we're going to jump right in uh, to today's message, which I've entitled, Wake Up. Jesus, as he entered the garden in Mark 14, uh, he said, My soul is in anguish. Are you still sleeping? This being one of the last moments of Jesus' life on the planet, we want to recognize where we've been to get here. Jesus entered Jerusalem to the praise of his people, and Jesus came with an agenda. We looked at that last week. Quickly, he came into the city, and he cursed the fig tree, representing fruitless Israel, a, or fruitless Judaism, an empty religion, and he, he cursed that fig tree for being fruitless, much like he looks at his church today seeking fruit. He cleansed the temple because it was sinful, much like he cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness when we trust him and he makes us a temple of the Holy Spirit. He then moved to the place of having his final supper with his disciples, serving them like a slave. He pronounced his betrayer. He said they would all desert him. And then he walks them out of that time together celebrating the Passover, and he takes them to the garden, and around the Garden of Gethsemane there was a wall, a stone wall, and at the beginning of the entrance there's a gate. He asks eight of the eleven who are still with him to stay right there, and he enters the, the garden, taking the inner three in further with him, Peter, James, and John, the leader to the disciples, and he asks them to follow him in and to pray as he presses into the center of the garden to meet with the Father. We read it from Mark 14, verse 33, says, He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed, my sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it be possible for the hour might pass from him, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. He yelled, Simon, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he returned a third time and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here's what I want to encourage this morning in, is, is that Jesus identifies with us in three different ways in this passage. Number one, he identifies with our anguish to gather. He identifies with our weakness in our flesh, and he also identifies with our desire for another way. Yet he submitted to the way of the Father when there was no other way. First and foremost, Jesus calls out Peter, his, his disciple, by the name Simon. He calls him Simon because Peter in Matthew 16 was given a new name. He was Simon Peter, but in that moment when he could identify Jesus as the only way, the Messiah, the answer from heaven, he said, no longer will you be known as Simon, the, the name given to you by your fisherman father, by your earthly father, but I'll, you'll be known as Peter. The rock in which I build my church. And, and it was almost as if what he was saying was, Simon is how you respond to me in fear, but Peter's how you respond to me in faith. And after that moment, Jesus would turn to Simon Peter each time that he saw him responding in fear, and we would call him Simon. Because he was exposing his human frailty and showing him that he didn't want him any longer walking in this old way, but rather walking in a new way. 
One committed to do and have faith in the Father, even if it was the hardest thing. And this is what Jesus says he identifies with us most on. Many of us, this is not ideal. We desire to be together, and maybe you've been in anguish because you want to be gathered together as his church. This is what actually drove Jesus in the garden. This is what drove him to sweat drops of blood. It's a medical condition called hermatidosis, where hermatidosis is the the only physical manifestation of an internal angst that's known as highest quality to man. So what it means is this. When man is so anxious that he is an anguish within himself, the only thing the, the body knows to do is around the sweat glands, the capillaries burst forth and blood mixes with the sweat and comes forth out of the body. It only happens when one is so heavy with anxiety. What was leading Jesus to have anxiety? I want to encourage you. I believe that Jesus didn't desire the, the Israel's rejection. I believe that Jesus didn't like Judas' defection. I also believe that Jesus didn't want his own disciples coming desertion from him. I believe that he did not want pharisaical injustice. I also believe that he didn't want mockery from Roman soldiers flogging crucifixion. But none of this is why he sweat drops of blood in Luke 22. None of this is why he was in such agony in the garden. It was because he desired to be with the Father, and for the first time in all of history, he was going to be separate of the Father. All of these physical things that he was looking at in his flesh were hurtful and horrifying, but were vastly secondary to becoming the object of in the sole object of divine wrath and alienation from the Father for the first time in history as it became the bearer of global sin. It wasn't the rejection of people that drove him to the place of sweating drops of blood. It was the coming thought of the rejection of the Father as he took on the sin of you and me, the entire world. And because the Father was perfect, he could no longer be in perfect union with Jesus. And for three days, only three days, only momentarily, Jesus would be separate from the Father as he would take sin upon us and become the penalty of sin, go into hell and be separate from the Father to rise from the grave victorious three days later. But Jesus knew in John 14, a union with the Father that was so perfect, so beautiful, community that was so vibrant that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said in John 17, in a high priestly prayer, he prayed that you and I, his disciples, might know union and unity like that, that we would be unified like he and the Father were one. This is why we know that he can identify with our anguish together, is because he himself was led to a place of deep, deep, deep anxiety and anguish as he knew his communion with the Father was about to be separated. His, he says the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There was no other time in all of his ministry that Jesus faced temptation to place his human will above his heavenly fathers than right here. It, it, it exceeds what he faced when he was in temptation after 40 days in the wilderness with the enemy just before his ministry begins. This is, this is higher than when Peter speaks to him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because right here, if he ever wanted to save his own skin... It would be right now. And he doesn't pray that if there be another way, let, let it come to me because he's afraid of the cross. That's not it. He's saying because he is completely committed to the Father's will and the Father's plan to redeem mankind, 
He's completely committed to that. If there be any other way that we can still redeem all of them, I'm committed to that. That's what I want. But if there's any way that we can redeem them and you and I not be separate, then that's what I want. Let that happen. But if there is no other way, then I'm completely committed, violently so, to let you have your way. The only reason Jesus prays this is because he says everything is possible for you. In verse 36, as he cries out to his daddy saying, Abba, Father, he says that he knew nothing existed outside of God's power, his privilege, and his prerogative. So if God desired another way and there were a second door, he was going to choose it right here. But there wasn't. And so Jesus was resolved to go through everything that he did for us on the cross, going into the grave and defeating and coming out of the tomb and leaving it empty because Jesus knew that if he had to become the sole object of divine wrath and he had to be separate from the Father, it was because God's way was perfect and it was best. And what God desires for us is good. And if we'll choose his way, even if it's the hardest way, he is good. Jesus knew that God was never going to act contrary to his character, his purpose, or his word. And so, just like Jesus could commit to the Father to do the hardest thing, he expects his church to do the same. He comes to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. He says, resting, enough, the hour has come. Yes, these men were physically tired, that is true. They'd been through a lot. But more than this, these men were worried. They were weary. And that's exactly why Jesus looks to Peter and says, Simon. Because he was so hurt by the thought or the fact that Jesus had called him out and said, you will also desert me. And Peter's thinking of a way they can prove his devotion, they can prove his love. And instead of staying and taking active uh, course of action like Jesus asked for and to pray because the hour has come, He falls asleep in his weariness. Folks, I asked us as a people, because I really believe the Lord has led us to this place as his church, to fast complaining for 40 days. That that was not because complaining is the problem. I believe that complaining just exposes symptomatically the problem. The problem is the heart. When a heart is discontented, uncomfortable, consuming, and only looking more, the thing that comes forth from that heart is verbal complaint. And so here's what I'm asking us to think on. This morning, church, I want to know if, if God is coming to you and asking you in your weakness of flesh and your anguish to gather, is he looking and going, right now there is no other way, and the best way for you to love your neighbor is to do dis- social distancing and worship just like this, because here's the truth. The message has never changed, his people are the same, and his love is eternal. And so if we are to love the way he's expected us to, would we commit even when it's hard and do the hardest thing? Would we be a people that would look at the opportunity before us right now and wake up, be active, active in the love that we say motivates us in message, in word, and in deed? Would we take the gospel to those that are around us because because he loved us enough to do the hardest thing and we his people are willing to do the same? We're not going to let his weariness or the weariness of our own sin and our own fault and our own heart or discontentment continue to drive us, but rather we're not going to be responding to him in fear called Simon. We're going to respond to him in faith 
Let me give you a, a picture. Right now in my lifetime, and I don't believe in my parents' lifetime, I've ever seen a time that I can recall like today. This is literally unprecedented. There's never been a time for the gospel where sports and live shows and local watering holes don't stand in the way of our neighbors to entice them from hearing the truth of the gospel. Literally everything's been removed so that we can seize this moment and share the truth. Church, will we do so? Will we be a people that would stop complaining and stop exposing a heart that is discontented and rather start praising the one by loving him and loving others the way he expects, even if it is difficult? This week, church, you're going to get together and you're going to walk through Exodus 16 where we see the Father provide manna from heaven. I want to tie this all together if I can because this passage in the garden doing the hardest thing where Jesus was the answer from heaven, and how that connects to how manna was the answer from heaven. Jesus said it in John 6, verse 29, said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is I. It is the Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Sir, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes me will never be thirsty. But as I told you before, you have seen me and still do not believe for I have come down from heaven not to do the will of my own, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall redeem all those who he has given me and raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. This morning, church, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to do exactly what he has asked us to, and that is to wake up and repent from a place of discontentment and complaining and turn to a heart of praise and pray right now for the person that may be watching this who does not know him. And as if this is you, I want to speak to you for a moment. Maybe, maybe you didn't know that someone loved you like this, that they were willing to do the hardest thing that you might be free. This morning, if you are someone who right now in the sanctity of your own home desire to respond to the message of Jesus and His love for you, then I'm going to help you to do so. It's simple. There are no words that free us, but a heart that turns to Him is what frees us. I want to help you with this prayer. Will you pray with me? It says this, Father, I come, a sinner who has sought my own way, and today I see in Jesus your own Son, who you didn't withhold, one who was willing to die so that I didn't have to. One who's willing to become the penalty. One that took what I deserved upon himself so that I could truly be free. Father, this morning, I turn to you. I turn from my sin to your son. And I ask for your spirit to come into my life where sin once reigned. And teach me how to walk with you right now here on the planet for the rest of my days 
that I might know how to live with you one day in eternity. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.